North South Connection podcast listening audience, welcome to another edition of Viewer's Choice, where me and my good close personal friend, Mr. Marcus, break down every WWE, AEW, and NXT pay-per-view as it is off the presses. And uh, JT, uh, you're due on back pay. We're burning the midnight oil yet again for you. Um, as we, and by we, I mean myself, Mr. Not the Toolman, Tim and uh, Marcus are here to break down AEWX NJPW Forbidden Door. Marcus, how you Hot doing? Tag. I'm doing well, and uh, JT, we do accept the yen uh, for this episode. Um, but yeah, um, I'm ready to cover Forbidden Door, uh, a incorporation of a promotion that I am very very casually familiar with um it's not too often that i actually get to sit down and watch uh hours of this promotion that being new japan pro wrestling so uh i'm interested in our breakdown um i think a lot more people probably align a little closer uh with like my experience and your experience with new japan you're a little bit more um involved and uh insightful about the promotion um but neither of us are the experts like uh the boys over at we need wrestling or uh the man adam van that's right and you know i think the big difference between uh my education level and your education level is uh one of us has a desire to learn about (laughs) japanese wrestling and one of us um School's not for him. Yeah. And we'll let you just leave it at that. Uh, With that said, let us school the listening audience and run down the card that took place in a jam-packed 16,000-plus seat-filled United Center in Chi-Town, Chicago, Illinois. That's right. The home that Jordan built. Spoiler alert. We are going to run down the card here. So our first matchup. Minoru Suzuki and the Jericho Appreciation Society of Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara defeat Eddie Kingston, uh, Shoto Umino, and Wheeler Yuta. Uh, the shooter, that dude was dope. Next up, FTR not only retains their ROH World Tag Team titles, but win the IWGP Tag Team Championship by defeating the Great Okan and Jeff Cobb and Rapongi Vice. Next up, Pac becomes the inaugural AEW All-Atlantic Champion by defeating Clark Connors, Miro, and Mel Black. The Dudes with Attitude, Darby Allin, Shingo, and Sting defeat the Bullet Club represented by El Phantasmo and the Mother F and Young Bucks. Thunder Rosa retains the AEW Women's World title by defeating Tony Storm. Will Ospreay retains the IWGP United States title by defeating Orange Cassidy. We have a new debut here as Claudio Castagnoli, the newly all-elite athlete, defeats Zack Sabre Jr. And our two big title matches of the evening, Jay White retains the IWGP world title by defeating Hangman Adam Page, Okada, and Adam Cole. And our main event of the evening, John Moxley becomes the interim AEW world champion by defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi. And that was Forbidden Door. Yeah, and, um, you know, we don't just sit here and just tell you what happened. We give you the must-watch, the must-skip, and the MVP. Um, I will go ahead and I'll get things started with our, um, with at least my first must-watch. And it, it's probably my match of the night. And that is Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy for the 
United States Championship. Mm. Um, I've always had, not as much as Corny Jim, uh, I've had my reservations about Will Ospreay. Mm, Okay. And, of course, you thought I was going to talk about Orange Cassidy. (laughs) Uh, But... uh, I would never, I would never say anything bad about uh, in OC we trust, um, but I've always had my reservations about uh, Will Osprey, and while I might have been right or more correct in my assertions at first, it's 2022, man. Uh, just as uh, people's tastes change, so do wrestlers' styles change, mm. and. Osprey and OC had themselves a bangerino uh, for the belt, uh, the champion cheap. And I was just very impressed by, um, I think this might have been Orange, one of Orange Cassidy's best outings in AEW. Um, it definitely showcased both men extremely well. And... I just have a ton of ringing endorsements for this match. Go out if there's one, at least for me. If you had to pick one from the night, it's this match. Uh, yeah, I, I can't argue that at all. I think online, from what I saw, this was the consensus match of the night. This got the most people talking from everything that I saw. A um, little bit of a feel good uh, at the end there with Shibata coming out and uh, helping OC. Um. And I don't think it's an accident that when we do cover these AW pay-per-views, Orange Cassidy is quite frequently uh, involved in the match of the night or like the second best match of the night. He's always in the discussion. Um, and whether it's a singles match, whether it's a multi-person match, a tag team match, um, or whether he's just uh, doing seconding duties on the outside, um, he always finds a way to make whatever he's doing really stand out. And not just stand out, but be one of the true like one or two highlights of the show and uh this match was no exception to that um so yeah great showing for oc great showing for will osprey if will osprey was not your cup of tea dude before um no stretch he wasn't it for either of us um this is probably like the best showcase um where like a lot of the unnecessary stuff that may not be for you is not super present um, it's very dialed in with a lot of character work um, and just a, a really solid match all around. So, uh, OC, turning water into wine? I'd agree. <laughs> I'd agree. Yeah. Um, so that's your, your match of the night. That's your first much, must watch. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump around a little bit to earlier in the evening. Uh, the must watch match for me from everything that happened tonight. Uh it might have been what was designed to be the little let-me-up match of the evening, but uh, for me it was anything but. Uh, it reaffirms that Sting <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how apropos being in the building, uh, the house that Mike built, um, Sting rocking the 4-5, or five, um, not literally, but in this back into his career this other comeback (laughs) (laughs) oh man um but yeah it's staying finding ways to reinvent himself stay fresh um getting the jump the big balcony dive uh off off the uh off the stage 
onto the Young Bucks and uh, El Phantasmo, who I was really impressed by, by the way. I think that's my first time seeing him wrestle. Um, I enjoyed uh, watching him a good bit. He was good. Um, when the Bucks get to kind of be like stoogy heels, I think like that plays their strengths the best. Um, Darby got to just like kind of go in, be a little bit of face in peril, and like hit his big high spots. I thought that was a good spot for him. Shingo got to be like the bruiser. And Sting really was the star of this match. And it was really refreshing because Sting has very much been an accessory. He's very much been pulling people up in this AEW run. Um, this was the match where Sting was like the star of the match. And I think that is a nod to uh, some of those <laughs> New Japan battles of the the early and mid-90s uh, that we sometimes got to see in, uh, from WCW. Uh, but yeah, this was awesome. I enjoyed everything about it. <laughs> it got a, a couple chuckles, a couple, uh, you know, oh poop moments, uh, and a lot of feel good seeing, you know, Shingo and Sting out there doing their thing. Uh, I am rocking the new, well, it's an old piece of merch, but it's officially canonized for Sting. Uh, the Los Ingobernables de Japón shirt. Um, Sting jumping out the building. Uh, a mutual friend of ours said that Sting is uh, the best wrestler there ever was and the best wrestler there ever <laughs> will be. Um, and while a lot of people call that to Brett, I, I'm, I'm very sad we never got Brett's New Jack phase, mm. uh, much like we've gotten Sting's uh, as of late. Um, I, I agree. This is also my must-watch. I was also very, very impressed with El Phantasmo. Uh, that's a guy who can easily cross over into uh, the mainstream American wrestling audience. Uh, loved seeing what he was doing with the Young Bucks. He felt like the perfect fit for what the Young Bucks try to do. He feels like a guy who could easily have fit in that OC bullet club mm. days. Mm -hmm. As being just the plucky, he felt like the young buck's cousin. Right, he he very much Malachi Jackson here with uh, with uh, his his presence. Um, but as a guy who who was who came up as a super junior, um, they put over his accolades on commentary as a a multiple time uh, U.S. Super J Cup winner, mm -hmm. British J Cup winner, um, and now making his foray into the heavyweight scene in New Japan uh, as he's a part of the massive 28-man four-block uh, G1 climax that's going to start in July, um, middle of July, I think the 16th. Um, very impressed by El Phantasmo, but Sting is that guy and it was also really cool to see Shingo again yeah um, we were really big well I won't say we I'll say me and then you just tagged along because we're best friends and you support me through most everything I do I was really big in Ring of Honor and I remember like one of the DVDs that I had to get was that Dragon Gate Invasion show and I remember Shingo being a part of that Dragon Gate group. Yeah. And seeing him now kind of be grown man Shingo, uh, kind of dope. And, I mean, this is a guy who, in New Japan, um, 
is was kind of in the spot of John Moxley and of Drew McIntyre. Okay. Where was the champion of this promotion during the pandemic era? Um, it's not going to necessarily be looked upon with high marks overall because it's kind of just a dark cloud that mm. loomed over wrestling history. And while Drew McIntyre did his thing in the WWE and while John Moxley did his thing in AEW, Shingo did the exact same thing in New Japan and um, really made a case uh, solidifying himself as like one of the one of the more believable stars in New Japan. Um, so this was this was so cool, and to to see the kind of crossover of Sting Sting's a perfect fit for the Lij. Uh, now all that being said, don't look too far into the weeds. Understand that Los Ingobernables de Apone is from Los Ingobernables, and there's an Andrade connection there. Mm. But Andrade ain't here. It's almost like NWO and NWO Wolfpack. It's very true. The <laughs> Ingobernables de Apone is very much Wolfpack, too sweet. Naito. Um, very sad that we didn't get uh, Takahashi um, in this. Unfortunately, he was out due to illness, which also pulled Hikaleo mm-hmm. from the match as well. Uh, Takahashi, the four-time consecutive uh, Best of the Super Juniors uh, champion. Why doesn't he put on some weight and go go wrestle with the big dogs? Because he is like 5'3", dog. All right. Well. He is not very big. Uh, so, uh, Takahashi, man, he's uh, he's all right. He uh, tons of charisma. He's very much like baby Naito to me. Like... Naito's Where got... was Naito on this show? Investors, possibly. <laughs> like, I would have loved to have seen Naito. There are, and that's one of the things like I liked about this event too. It gave us a mixture of some of the young up and coming New Japan stars, mm-hmm. but also the household names. A true sampling. But when we get to, I hope this is an annual thing. Where we have Forbidden Door, or maybe not Forbidden Door, because how long is this door going to be labeled as forbidden if people keep going right. through it? Like next, by the time we get to it next year, it'll be AEW and NJPW presents Revolving Door, and we we have just a, a a crisscross of all the champions, but it leaves something to say that. There are stars in New Japan that we did not get to see here mm-hmm. while we've seen them before. Um, Ishii not being here right. kind of stinks. Big Tom. Yeah. Big Tom Ishii. Um, Goto is big. I mean, the G and G1 stands for Goto. Um, Naito is also a big, big thing. But I'd also like to see some of the Super Juniors, too. Like, um, the Junior Heavyweight Division is... Is pretty pretty sweet, and you could easily do like a a juniors match involving a lot of the younger stars with New, with New Japan, and put Yuta, put Daniel Garcia, put I don't know if Buddy Matthews is 
anything small but a junior, enough though. anymore. No, two hundred sixty-five pounds. I'm glad. I'm <laughs> Triple glad, H coming. I'm out. glad the juniors um, were limited on their show because if there was an extra juniors match, it would probably make my must skip. Um, but um, I'm gonna keep the must watches coming. Good. Um, I'm gonna say go ahead and check out the inaugural AEW All Atlantic Championship match. Yes, sir. Um, it's uh, fifteen minutes. But it is fast. A fast fifteen. They keep the action moving, and there's a clear story throughout the match too. Um, but it also serves many masters. Uh, Miro looked dominant throughout the entire contest for the most part, um, and it just felt like this is his. Um, you know, and 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 Pack is just plucky enough to kind of remain alive and pick his spots. Uh, Mel Black. Steps in and, and dominates when he can uh, and offers what he does to the match. Um, Clark Connors, uh, you know, somebody, eh, you know, I don't know, solid dude. Just, I don't know, just, uh, again, this was supposed to be Big Tom Ishii in this role, which I was really pumped for. Um, I think a lot of people were. So when Big Tom Ishii, Ishii is no longer in the match, Clark Connors is in, uh, a lot of people being disappointed. But Clark Connor stepped up, and as the match went on, like won people over, and kind of a hostile crowd, <laughs> even to him, during the match, uh, won them over at the end of it. So that's cool to track throughout the match too. But um, just the way that the finish happened with Miro getting misted uh, by Mal Black, hopefully he doesn't uh, get any of that funny eye business uh, and start getting a lot of tattoos and dressing in black. Um, yeah, just the way the whole finish went down, it was um, a true climax, uh, and I really enjoyed it. So I would go ahead and say, go out of your way, and uh, I give that a must-watch. This might seem like blasphemy, but I think that having Big Tom Ishii in this match would have been a down point for the match. I agree. I, I can think, see that. I think Clark... Clark Connors played a role that Tom couldn't mm-hmm. have played. Um, there was a stretch there near the near the end where Clark um, got on a bit of a roll. Mm-hmm. A couple of spears, uh, hit his uh, trophy kill finish, and really found a way to make himself a part of the, the equation without... Uh, taking up a lot of space. Right. Where I feel like when Big Tom would have been in there... All eyes would have been on him. Like, And not to, like... Not to be a person who thinks of matches as, like, who is believable winners and losers. But going into this, I feel like both whoever the New Japan representative was for this match had equal chance of walking away with the All-Atlantic mm. Championship. So having it not be Tom Ishii in this spot and having it be Clark lent more to the possibilities of when Clark was vying, like getting into his sequences and and possibly playing spoiler on Pack and Malachi Black and, and Miro. Um, but all in all, like... This is this is a really fine, really fine four way. Um, it's probably one of the it's the better four way match mm. on the night because I will get into my must skip, and 
do a live. We're here. There's a reason why the New Japan, the IWGP World Championship has never been defended in a four-way match. Because I don't, again, and I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth again, but I don't want to make it where the ending of a match makes for the entirety of the match. Mm -hmm. But there is something to be desired from a match that had the makings of being like very very good on the card get lost in the tail stretch right and fall very flat at the right. end when it's like a great musical performance it it is like when we went to go see Guns N' Roses and they never played Patience. Yeah, that's a great... <laughs> yeah. That, that <laughs> like, sums it up, yeah. Like, we're here to see... We're here to see Patience. We're here to hear it and we never get it. And instead we get, like, songs I don't really care about. <laughs> and um, whether Adam Cole is hurt or not hurt or if this is a way to keep... It's not uncommon for Japanese finishes on American soil to be a bit uh, kabuki-ish. Kabuki-ish. Uh, this could be a part of that in in a way, but with Jay White retaining, I don't know where the kabuki-ish nature mm-hmm. would come from. Um, to me, like if you're a New Japan guy. Like this is this is this is acceptable, but to me, like if your time is limited watching it, the biggest takeaway from the match is just seeing Okada wrestle on American soil, yeah, in yep. front of an American audience in a mainstream spot, right? Um, whenever he wants to make millions and millions of dollars on U.S. soil, we're ready for him, and and hopefully have to work uh, a lot easier. Uh, yeah, that was my standout here. Like, I would go ahead and give the match a skip, but being able to see Okada, if you're somebody who's interested in seeing Okada, you haven't watched much of him, you don't go out of your way to watch New Japan, I don't. But, like, Okada's my dude. Like, that's the dude that I would want to take from New Japan and pluck him into the States. Um, and, I mean, he fit like a glove from the moment that his uh, his theme song hit uh, and all throughout the match. Like, the dude's just got it. Um, he he translates very well to any audience. I think he's got star power galore. Um, yeah, I loved it. I love seeing Okada. Um, thought he was gonna take the belt back, so a little shock to see Jay White, um, knife enthusiast, retain. But uh, that's the way it goes. And I kind of like when matches keep us honest. Uh, all it does take is three and. While from the showmanship standpoint, when you build a match to the finish um, and the finish doesn't maybe go off as planned or envisioned, you're kind of missing like that exclamation point. And instead you kind of finish with like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just kind of left like, okay, I guess there is no exclamation point. It's just a period. So um, I was fine with it, especially in the semi-main spot. Keeping everybody a little honest, um, you know, not everything is a telegraph one, two, three, and that's okay. Uh, it is pro wrestling. Um, 
that takes me into uh, my other must skip. Um, hate to pile on the back end, um, but I would say you could go ahead and skip uh, Tanahashi versus John Moxley. Um, not to say it was bad. Again, if we give it a skip, doesn't mean it's it's bad by any stretch. We're just saying if you're looking to save time and you don't think that um, you need to go out of your way to watch something, that's what we're here for is to let you know. So um, I don't think that this really gave anything that you had to go out of your way to see. It was very solid. It was good. Um, uh, I kind of wanted to see Tanahashi win by the end. And so did the United Center. Um, now I am glad, like, nobody seemed upset with Moxley winning. Um, it seemed like the inevitable result. Um, but I'm always down for, like, what makes things a little more interesting? To me, Moxley coming up short here and Tanahashi winning the interim title makes TV a little bit more interesting uh, as far as I'm concerned. How would you feel about it? Um, once the match was over, I turned to you and I used a term uh, called cheekin. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that the, the two matches, the two main events were cheeks, but they were cheekin. Like, not, did not necessarily live up to what was the possible expectations of these matches. Uh, to kind of steal from your project with JT here on the North-South Connection WWE War, this feels very much like the Finn Balor, Shinsuke Nakamura, Samoa Joe era of NXT, mm. where your undercard is banging. Like, everything hits opener second match third match fourth match but then we get to the main event and for whatever reason the main event is such a gear shift right from everything else on the card that it feels out of place right and i, I think if i were to diagnose that uh quickly i think even looking back at that era of nxt now by by the time that you get halfway through the show um, and NXT did a little bit better job with this just because the takeovers lended itself to four or five match cards, whereas the AW pay-per-views you're looking at 10, 10 11, 11, 13 matches sometimes, including the buy-in. So by the time you get halfway through a show, you've already seen every move that there is to see, and you're really just waiting to see uh, entrances and finishes. And I think in AW, the, the true star power, the household names really carry those back-end matches. And I think that's why... And I think it was the same thing with NXT during that run. And I think that's why those matches... I won't say underwhelm. Um, but yeah, they're different. They're definitely different from the rest of what you see. And whether that's because they slow down, they're telling maybe a more, more story throughout the match that's not really bashing you over the head with it. Um, and maybe is relying a little bit on that star power where the position of main event justifies itself and they don't have to go out there and do a million crazy things. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I think that does make for interesting conversation um, because that is starting to become a little bit of a trend uh, with these AW shows. 
Yeah, and I I don't. I squeaky chair. Sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, you're in the comfy king seat, all leather, Executive Jones. Um, I feel as though AEW is in like a growing pains place mm. because they are so much like NXT was in that era, loaded for bear. Like the cupboard is beyond full. And somehow, today, they added a new spice to the spice cabinet that was already overflowing in Claudio Castagnoli. Yeah. There's only so many mouths to feed with AEW. They do a fantastic job of trying to rotate all of the moving parts around and having things for everyone. But when you have 50 guys, 40 guys, including the girls too, like, who could really use something or should really be featured and be like promising acts in AEW it runs the risk of the happenings like this card and happenings like double or nothing where there's a lot of energy early mm-hmm. because you're having what would be a main event talent anywhere else right play fourth right on a card right it's like almost like an all-star team every every AEW event feels like an all-star game right and that's cool like it is great for wrestling and if you part and parceled out these cards match by match each match can stand alone for the most part with the very few exceptions each match can stand alone as being a really good solid not to borrow from you again but an above replacement level match Mm -hmm. whereas it is the the saying of the the whole is less than the sum of its parts Mm. putting 10 great matches in a row doesn't always mean a great card mm-hmm. doesn't make for a great main event or a great event and not to it unfair unfair comparison being made like by me now but there's a big difference between having 10 really solid matches like we had tonight versus like Wrestlemania 17 mm-hmm. which is pretty much a flawless card top to bottom like right like i think i think what aw's getting better at um especially as they start to integrate more diverse talent um like to me this show is really missing like hobbs and starks who were featured on the pre-show but that's it right um different different wrestlers of different styles of different sizes of different looks will really benefit aw moving forward um, and I think as the company continues to grow from really what was a collection of like friends and family at the beginning, um, and as they continue to evolve, hopefully I think we get different styles uh, so that we can have a great card that is 10 matches, but you're also getting seven different varieties out of the 10 yeah. as opposed to three or four. Right. And I feel... I feel like this this card isn't necessarily very 
indicative of what we've come to know and expect from AEW because of the fact that this was very much an exhibition or yeah. a showcase of the partnership between AEW and New Japan and by proxy Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. Um, even the commentary team, I really love the change up of Definitely. being a majority of Taz, Excalibur, and Kevin Kelly, Kevin Kelly yeah. with a peppering of Tony Schiavone, and then the best Jim Ross mm-hmm. we've had in AEW, where he is literally there to call the big four matches, the wrestling re- the wrestlers wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, really, really brought a sense of believability or heightening credibility the the actual seasoning mm-hmm. that goes on the stake of these matches he brought the sauce if you he will. did bring that he brought the main event mustard uh, and caprice coleman right did he make an, did I hear him during the tag title match i think that might have been taz i don't know if i heard caprice coleman i could have swore caprice coleman was out there but maybe i could i could be mistaken um i might have went up to the kitchen to go grab something but uh yeah commentary on this night was a plus um one of their best, like their best commentary offerings, lots of different voices throughout the night, um, and I thought for basically you said it an exhibition, what was a concept pay per view. A lot of times these invasions, these collaboration shows, like they're better in thought than in execution. But I have a hard time imagining a better collaborative effort being executed better than what we got tonight. Yep, Caprice Coleman was on the three-way title match. Okay. And if you were able to get the Japanese feed, apparently Milano Collection AT was on the call. Whoa. So good for that. That's awesome. Uh, Pretty, pretty fun. Uh, Just going through and seeing the cast of characters on the most trusted source of of, uh, wrestling news. Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia. Um, Overall... We we could like really get uh, into the thick of it and and really break down more of it. Overall, this is a great. This is a. I wouldn't say great. This is a very good card. Um, if you have the time, do take your take your time and and go through it. Especially if you are a New Japan fan, or more than a conscientious observer of new japan pro wrestling and you're really in you're you're more than curious of what new japan has to offer as an american fan this is the perfect gateway drug for you to get in um myself i think i'm gonna invest in new japan world to get ready for the g1 just from what happened tonight um a lot of characters who i've heard of but haven't really seen much of or haven't seen much of lately. Uh, this was a good uh, stepping out point. And it's going to be interesting to see if both AEW and New Japan can ride away from this that will carry through into the tail half of 2022. Yeah, like both both companies use this pay-per-view kind of to uh, market themselves moving forward. Uh, AEW 
announcing Grand Slam uh, coming up in September. AEW really uh, pushing towards blood and guts uh, this upcoming Wednesday. Um, And New Japan really pushing New Japan World, their streaming service, plus uh, really pushing the G1. Um, That's about to start uh, this July. So uh, it's an exciting time, I think, to kind of jump back in if you haven't checked out New Japan. If you're somebody like myself who was kind of paying attention a little bit more when like Nakamura and Styles and the Bullet Club and Jeff Jarrett, of course, uh, (laughs) running wild over in Japan. Um, And as that era kind of died, as the decade closed out, um, I paid less and less attention I feel like this offering from New Japan reintroduced themselves to me as a promotion, kind of like a sports franchise. Um, They have like their championship glory run. They have their dynasty years. And then before you know it, it's kind of time to rebuild. And I could be out of turn, but just me not watching, I feel like they kind of tanked for uh, a season or two. Uh, But each year they got a little bit better. They got their first, you know, their third draft picks with Jay White and Will Ospreay. Um, and then, you know, the next year they're picking in the teens. And then the next year they're picking in the high 20s. And now it seems like they're back to being like a, a contender um, or a heavy favorite. Uh, so I'm interested to see the G1 this year, uh, who comes out on top of that and who's going to call their shot for Wrestle Kingdom. Um, but yeah, man. Um, I guess that's it for us. I feel like I've talked about everything that I want to talk about. Uh, You want to hand out some uh, MVP awards? I sure do. So, for me, it's someone we have not talked about on the card. But for me, my MVP of the night is Claudio Castagnoli. Um, It was so awesome to hear the emotion emitted from the fans in attendance for uh, Claudio, his first appearance in a wrestling ring since his uh, departure from the WWE Mm -hmm. officially after the event. Tony Khan has gone on Twitter and Claudio does have the graphic. He (laughs) is, in fact, all elite. I hope AEW, they won't, but uh, if AEW did what WWE did with Cody, we're like, ah, Cody, a six-year hiatus from the WWE ring and like make it sound like he's been uh, waiting at the bus station for six years. Like if they do that with Claudio, like uh, 10 years away from wrestling, 10 years away from wrestling. Um, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. Um, but it's so good to see Claudio. He seems like he came in at the perfect point. I know when he was rumored to have left, a lot of speculation was about if he does go back to, if he does go to AEW, where does he fit in? Um, because it was very top heavy, but the those sorts of things kind of work themselves out. And like a great baseball team, you can never have too much pitching. Right, um, for sure. And that depth has been tested all up and down the card in AW. Uh, a lot of people getting hit with the injury bug. So this was the perfect time for Claudio to come in. Uh, he was very very heavily featured, uh, or you know his, his arrival was anticipated with the build-up to this, um, but also the closing angle. He made the big save and cleaned house, uh, WCW Sting style. Uh, and getting a little bit of um, 
a, a rivalry renewed, a true rivalry renewed uh, with Eddie Kingston. So that was cool there at the end. Uh, very deserving of your MVP award. For my MVP award, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Okada. Um, for me, being uh, being one of the top guys from New Japan, I was very much looking forward to uh, his, like, U.S. arrival on pay-per-view, which hasn't been done, you know, in a couple years. Um, and it didn't disappoint. And I thought, like, his star power really carried that match, which has three bona fide, you know, modern stars Uh I don't think anybody's going to argue, but, you know, the credentials of Adam Cole, Hangman Page coming off a world title run, or the current end, end, uh, current IWGP champion, Jay White. But, um, yeah, Okada looked like a superstar, felt like a superstar, was treated like a superstar. Uh, for me, he gets my MVP award for the evening. Fair enough. Uh, of course, this is just our recommendations. We're not necessarily beholden to it. You don't have to take us as gospel, but we're here to... Maybe save you a little trouble, perhaps. So, um, a big thank you for for checking us out, listening to us uh, whenever you do, after the fact. And of course, you can find us on the North South Connection after every WWE, AEW, and NXT pay per view. Uh, you can also see us uh, every so often as we go through our high low game for the greatest WWE uh, worker project revisited uh, every so often here on the North South Connection. You can also catch Marcus uh, every other Saturday mm-hmm. uh, with WWE War with him and JT as they uh, take their plus-minus look at the years that was in WWE and uh, seeing what is, in fact, the top banana of uh, pay-per-views and premium live events. Um, but there's so much solid content on a regular basis on the North-South Connection. You cannot beat it um, for whatever it's worth. So thank you for your patronage. Thank you for listening to us. Um, If you enjoy what Marcus and I do as well, follow us on Twitter at T&M Shows. Uh, We do a podcast on the soon-to-be-named network called Final Wrestling Place where Marcus and I take the nouns of professional wrestling, assign arbitrary red points and green points, and put uh, those in either the good place or the bad place. Uh, If you're listening to this, we just wrapped on the bashes of uh, professional wrestling uh, four-episode arc where we covered uh, Bash of the Beach 1994, Great American Bash 1996, uh, NXT Great American Bash 2021 and wrapping up with the LVAC's Bash at the Brewery with uh, a guest Adam Van from At Odds with Wrestling also on the soon to be named network so uh, we'd love for you to give us a listen uh, we're Justin Pratt's new favorite podcast so uh, we appreciate that uh, JP over at uh, New Gen on a Mission, also here on the North-South Connection. Um, We will be back here, uh, I believe, next week for Money in the Bank. Do a quick... uh, It's 4th of July weekend. It sure is. So... Uh, Saturday, July 2nd. 
we will be back here, not from uh, the big stadium in Las Vegas, that, but rather the... Was that ever advertised? Uh, <laughs> possibly. Uh, the MGM Grand Garden Arena uh, for uh, Money in the Bank. So we will see you then. Um, always and remember, uh, no matter what... The choice is yours.